Did I resent the Rapper's Delight situation for a long time? Of yes. course I did. You know how different my life could have been hmm. had Hank did what he was supposed to do and say, well, guys, no, I don't rap, but I manage Casanova Fly. Okay, not that I ever had aspirations to be part of the Sugar Hill Gang. Mm-hmm. All right, believe me, I was trying to make my bones Wait. with the Cold Crush. He was a manager? He was my manager. That was his Look manager. Now, now it's like, hold up. Hank, Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hank used to work in the Sparkle. The Sparkle was this club on Jerome Avenue. Hank was the doorman at the club. When I used to go to the club, me and him got tight. We start kicking it. And then I was like, yo, why don't you help manage my group? This is Nas. You're now listening to The Bridge, 50 Years of Hip Hop. Hey, this is your co-host, Minya O, a.k.a. Miss Info. On this episode, MC Shyrock of the Funky Four talks about being the first female MC and bringing the Bronx's revolution to the disco and punk scenes of downtown New York City. And Grandmaster Kaz of the Cold Crush Brothers clears up the controversy surrounding the song Rapper's Delight and its legacy. While they both had so many stories of record label treachery, Shyrock and Kaz now advocate for their fellow MCs as co-hosts of their own radio show on LL Cool J's Rock the Bells channel. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. As we celebrate 50 years of hip hop, it's vital that we shine a light on the foundation. If it weren't for the pioneers who created and shaped this culture, none of us who came after would be here. Legends like MC Shy Rock and Grandmaster Kaz spent countless hours perfecting their craft and inspired generations that came after them to strive for greatness. This is back in the 70s, y'all. These people are the reason. To the hip-hop pioneers, we salute you. How did you know that this music was emerging and that you knew what it took to be a part of it and to fit right in and to help mold it? And what I mean by that is, like, when I hear your first early works, I was a very young kid. 
And I was like, I know I hear this new music. I don't know where it's coming from, how long it's been around. Mm -hmm. And I'm hearing the routines that were like TV show theme songs or whatever the love song was or brilliantly put together. Exactly, exactly. And I'm like, how did they know how to do that to a beat and then and and break it down? And (laughs) and the lyrical technique is driving us forward with rhythm and your voice. You have the voice that's just like... Well, goddamn Nas, I still got that voice. I said half. (laughs) Oh, okay. Okay. I I didn't say half. (laughs) Clear that shit up. I cleared that. (laughs) Okay. Half my bad. My bad if I even thought I said half. No, no, no. You guys were doing this before the records was Absolutely. hitting. Absolutely. And it was as big as records. It was hits in, in New York street. City. Mm-hmm. Definitely. What do you mean? They weren't records? So, of course, you know, I'm MC Shot Rock. Now, as the first female MC of hip-hop culture, and I didn't know if you knew that. Now. I know that. Right. Okay. Yes, as ma'am. the first female MC <laughs> of hip-hop culture... When I started out, I started out as a B-girl, right? Mm-hmm. So I used to go around in 1976 and break dance and, and just listen to all the break beats that was out there. But at the end of 1977, after the blackout, was when, you know, I became the first female MC of hip-hop culture. So the thing is, for me, I had the influence of Nikki Giovanni, you know. Um, oh, it's, yeah, okay. right, of yeah. my parents, you know, let me listen to her, you know, the James Browns, the Michael Jacksons, mm-hmm. the Elvis Presleys, yeah. you know, and I say that simply because those were the people who allow me to be able to just entertain, you know, be able to capture the audience and the rhymes that you say and the cadence that you put in your rhyme. So when I had the opportunity to become that first female MC, I would say, for me, it came natural. Because I was a B-girl first, I listened to the breakbeats. I listened to the beats of how yeah. to be able to rhyme the cadence. And so when you also talk about the songs and all the melodies that we used to do from commercials, we did used to do that. You know, I was a part of a group that started, funky four, four right, the Funky one. Four that started the cadence of how you would rhyme, you know, to things like Gilligan's Island. You know, right. we used to make songs from all the sitcoms that was on television at that time and just flip it into rhymes. With that said, there was a lot of things that were going on in New York City at that time. And we were just trying to feel our way through, especially in the Bronx, trying to figure out what would be the next thing to move the culture forward. So when you start doing that, you start thinking about, okay, what about rhyming? What about using echo chambers? You know, because you got to remember, we were young teenagers with little or no resources. Right. The radio didn't understand what we was doing. Right. Our parents didn't really understand what we was doing because they thought it was going to be a fad. But in the back of my mind, I knew, and Cass, I'm quite sure you knew as well, that it wasn't a fad because right. it was something that you knew that was in your heart that was going to carry on forever. I just didn't know how far. For me, you know, as a female... Along with the Funky Four, I was able to bridge the gap by taking what we were doing back in New York City or in the Bronx down to Soho, down to a different type of crowd, like Mm. the punk rockers. And that's how I was able to bridge the gap with hip-hop music and punk rockers by showing them what we were doing in the Bronx at that time. Were you nervous at the punk rock club? Because you're in the performing in the Did you see that? There's a video that's out. With me standing on stage and I'm looking young and you have yeah. all these punk rockers hollering and screaming. Yeah. And all. Wow. No, I wasn't, I wasn't nervous. Why? Because it was like when you're a teenager and you see a different genre of people 
that is like gravitating towards what you're doing right. and they hollering and they screaming for you and they throwing everybody up in the air <laughs> because they're happy. No, I wasn't nervous because I was built for this, Nas. Right. They booked you guys? Too? Yes, they booked us. We were, And that was huge. Right. To go Where in was these this? different clubs. It was at the Mud Club. We were the first group to ever play for Caucasian people wow. down in Soho, you know, you couldn't play hip hop down in Soho back then, but we was booked. We was booked in all the punk rock clubs down there, the Mud Club, the Kitchy, the Ritz. We were the first group to ever play in the Ritz. I was sitting here thinking of a year when I was first here in Cold Crush, mm-hmm. and I was like, it had to be like 82, mm-hmm. maybe 81. Mm-hmm. And the dudes with the radios was Cold Crushed yes. out. <laughs> yeah, yes. The streets was cold. And I was trying to listen, and I'm like, how are they doing this? And how do these guys all know the songs? Mm-hmm. And it was like pirate radio, or but it was really cassette tapes. Exactly. Because I'm exactly, like, it's another yeah. world mm-hmm. that's happening here that the whole block knew. And I'm like, where have I been my whole life? What is this? And I started to hear your lyrics. And I heard your name a lot. And it messed me up because I was like, hold on. There's two dear Yvettes. <laughs> oh, okay. Hold on, there's, you know, the LL Cool J version, which is like, I think, LL's first album. Yeah, yeah. Dear Yvette. Dear right. Yvette. And yours was another Yvette. Yvette. Yes. And I talked to Rev Run, and he told me that DMC got his name from you saying the GMC. Yeah, GMC. I don't know if he told you that, but DMC from Run DMC gets his name from you. I'm listening to your flows, and I'm, how was you doing this? Mm-hmm. What was you reading? How was you doing that, I got to credit my Catholic school education for part of that. I was writing poetry when I was a kid, mm-hmm. you know, when I was young, putting words together. And just writing, period, the art of writing always appealed to me. I always, my pen game is crazy. My penmanship, I like to write. I love to write. So the creative part of it was always something that grabbed me. And when I used to hear people rhyme or do routines or something, people that preceded me or came before me, I'm like, I got to be as good as that or better. Right. I got to be able to do that and then be able to go beyond that. And basically, that's how, you know, I went about it. If it wasn't something that I made up totally out of my head, like Yvette. Yvette wasn't a true story. It was something I made up. It was something that I thought people could relate to. It was funny. You know what I mean? It was full of the things that we all can relate to at our age. I was outside. I was at school with my box. Everybody knows that scenario. So, What school was this? Theodore Roosevelt. I went to Roosevelt High School in the Bronx and used to be out there every morning with my boom box playing the latest cassette tape from the party. You know what I mean? The, The weekend before. And had a crowd of people around. So the story about Yvette, I was like, wouldn't it be funny if you got caught in the bed with a girl and, and this and this and that happened and mm-hmm. such and so? I created a scenario around that thought, and that's Yvette. Later on, LL cop to the fact that, yo, I did hear that Yvette. <laughs> and, and you know what I mean? Because at first he was like, I, I never heard, I never heard no Yvette. <laughs> Nigga. Everybody heard Yvette. <laughs> Everybody know Yvette, you know right. what I mean? So he was inspired by that. And then later on, Will Smith did an interview for Rap Radar and told him, yo, because they told him he was a storyteller right. in the vein of like a Slick Rick. Right. He said, but you kind of precede Slick Rick. So he said, I got all that from Cass. Right. Because right. when I heard Yvette, 
event was like a narrative that had punchlines and all these different things. And you know what I mean? He said, I was just enamored by that shit. So girls ain't nothing but trouble. is like a straight bite, basically, (laughs) from Yvette. And these are his words. Right. These are his words. So that was always my goal and my aim, that when you hear my rhyme, you might hear a lot of niggas rhyme, but when you hear me rhyme, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It's like, oh, oh, shit. Oh, you know. And now I've inspired generations of people with the same mindset. You have it. Kane had it. Mm -hmm. Coogee Rap had it. KRS has it. You know what I mean? It's a certain mindset as far as rapping and when you write, you know, to be above the ordinary. Anybody could say, throw your hands in the air. The Funky Four Plus One was before you. Yeah, before the Cold Crush. Let's, but let's go crush, back. You yeah. said Funky Four Plus One. Yeah. I need to break down to you that the original Funky Four yeah. came before the Funky Four Plus One. Yeah. I am one of the members that helped create the Funky Four. The original Funky Four and the Furious Four, which was uh, Melly Mel, Creole, Scorpio, mm-hmm. and Cowboy. Cowboy. We were the two main groups that was battling each other in New York City. What happened was we battled him. Something happened. They felt like Raheem threw it. Raheem went out of the group. Me and Raheem was very close. I left the group. So when we two left, the Funky Four brought in two more members, which was Little Rodney C. and Jazzy Jeff. So a month later, Raheem joined the Furious Four. They became the Furious Five. I came back the same month, and I became the plus one more. Got it. it. Okay. Okay. So I am an original member and founding member of the Funky Four. The plus one came later. Is the whole crew from the Bronx or any Harlem in there? No, everybody's from the Bronx. And Cold Crush the same, the whole crew's the Bronx? Everybody from the Bronx, yeah. So you were watching Shy Rock and them. At the time, did you guys know each other? Later on, I mean, I started out as a DJ. I was casting over Fly. So I was a DJ and an MC. My crew went from different, you know, from me by myself to me and a partner to me and some MCs mm-hmm. and then a few different MC groups. Up by the year 77, uh, when the blackout happened, I was battling somebody in the park. By 78, when the MC came into prominence, yes. that's when we start seeing the groups come into prominence. So the Funky Four was one of the first organized groups. Most of us were just haphazardly out there doing what we do. They had management. They had a sound system. By organized, I mean, they were like an organization Hmm. more than just a little DJ crew. You know what I mean? They had their shit together. So uh, we aspired to have that kind of look and organization and status. By the time they were into prominence, I was just joining the Cold Crush Brothers. You know what I mean? So the Cold Crush didn't really come into prominence to like 81 prior to that 78 79 it was these guys funky four when they got signed to uh record deals then we started you know coming into prominence in the city because we weren't out on tour these guys was out on tour and gone so the cold crush definitely came after the funky four and they were funky four and the furious five was like our guide to okay we got to be good as them the legendary battles of Cold Crest, the battle. The Fantastic Five. Fantastic. That was our yes. epic battle right there. Mm-hmm. So did you ever go against the Furious Five? Okay, we never battled. 
the Furious Five, though we, we wanted to, we tried to, we talked shit about them and stuff, <laughs> but we never officially had a battle against the Furious Five. After a while, we started playing with them. Right. And we were doing skating rinks all outside the New York City area. We got it in, you know, but yeah. it wasn't against them. They did their thing, we did our thing. Treacherous um, Three. Treacherous Three never, because the Treacherous Three were like allies to the Cold Crush Brothers. They were Harlem. They were Harlem, and they were like fans of ours, okay? So they were allies to us. The Fearless Four was like underneath them. So those three groups became cool. So we would never battle the Treacherous Three or the Fearless Four. We were like allies. This is gold. We were trying to fill the void left by the Funky Four and the Furious, and the Furious Four. Five. Furious mm. Five, yeah. They out in the road. Now, who's the top niggas in New York? Who's number one in New York City? (laughs) We're going to find out. July 1st, 1981 at Harlem World. Wow. Yeah. Did you guys ever play Queens back in the days, like LL's Neighborhood? Oh, yeah. Let me tell you, Farmer's Boulevard. Yes, we did. And when you talk to DMC, DMC will say that because of the tapes that he heard and me coming out to Queens, Hollis Queens, that when I used the echo chamber and he heard my voice, Yes, yes, y'all. Yes, yes, y'all. And the echo chamber. That allowed him and Run to do the Tougher Than Leather album. And he said to Jam Master J, I uh, want you to make me sound like Shaw Rock. Wow. wow. You know what I'm saying? On the cassette tapes that he had. So I played in every, in 1979, I was all up in Queens, all over Queens, Hollis, every place that you could imagine. I played, I have flyers right. to prove it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yo, because you know, I'm coming up and I was, you know, yes. I was hearing songs in Queens. Skating rink out wasn't there. getting a lot of yeah. love. And I was like, it's rough in New York. Yeah. <laughs> you know why? You know, and I was going to ask you about, we talking about the bridge. There was a gap between boroughs. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you know what I mean? Back then, you talk about hip hop being competitive. Yeah. It's starting in the Bronx, permeating in the Bronx. The closest area to the Bronx is Harlem. If something happened in the Bronx, it happened in Harlem next. Right. But there's a bridge that separates Brooklyn and Queens yeah. and Staten Island from us. So things were going on in Queens in the early day, but we didn't know because we wasn't in Queens. Right. So we were inspired. The Disco Twins yeah, yeah. and all those guys that, that, that right. were doing hip-hop like we was doing it in the yeah. Bronx, but we didn't get exposed to them until later. When you went to the disco clubs, right? We weren't allowed to get in those clubs. The DJ, they was playing the music, but they weren't playing the type of music that the B-boy wanted to hear. They say, take that hippity-the-hop shit someplace else. We don't play that here. You understand right. what I'm saying? <laughs> right. So there are certain places, certain clubs, certain DJs that they did not respect hip-hop. Right. We couldn't go there and jump on the That was the just a general consensus. Yes, exactly. Yeah. exactly. That was the general consensus of people, period. And then again, look at, now you're trying to foray into somebody else's space. Exactly. You want to be a DJ? Y'all niggas supposed to be DJs? We grown and sexy. We cater to such and such. You got to be dressed to come up in here. Right. But that's why we're hip hop. Right. Because we're not dressed. Mm -hmm. We don't want to be dressed like that. We want to do it, but we don't want to do it like that. So Mm -hmm. hip hop is our reinvention of your disco movement. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because in the early days, if you look at things that were supposed to be hip hop, Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about the origin, okay? Mm-hmm. My first DJ partner, his name was Disco Wiz. The name of her group is the Brothers Disco. Right. Okay? Oh, we were oh, Grandmaster Flash's yeah. DJ, second DJ, is Disco B. Mm-hmm. If you look at those flyers, they say, Disco yeah. Down, mm-hmm. right. Disco This, exactly. Disco That, Come to the Disco. And it's all hip-hop. Right. We hadn't found our own right. 
niche. We hadn't yeah. found our own voices yet. And when we found those voices, those voices became running. hip hop and it became like a cutoff point between what came before us and what we became. Was Sylvia's husband gangster? Yeah, yeah. Yes, he was. Yeah, Joe was gangster, yes, he associated was. with gangster. They yes. lawyer, Morris Levy, Morris gangster. Levy. You know what I Yo, mean? I could tell you a story about so, that. Yeah. Let me tell you how gangster that was with Morris Levy. It's like we were booking our own shows. As I said before, we were already signed to Enjoy Records, right? right. So by 1981, we had signed to Sugar Hill Records. But during that time that we had signed the contract, we weren't allowed to do no shows. Because we were used to booking shows on our own because we already had New York City on lock. You understand? So we were booking our own shows and we booked the Ritz. Well, the Ritz called the Funky Four plus one and said, we want to book y'all when we had just signed our contract. We said, okay. So we booked it. All of us was going to get $500 a piece. And back then, $500 in 1981 was the shit. So we booked it and we got a call from Morris Levy and Sylvia Robinson. And they said, look, we need you to come down here to the office. We went down to the office and he said, listen, y'all book that show. We can sue you and we could take everything from you because y'all are in breach of contract. So what are y'all going to do? We could take that $500 or whatever happens to y'all happens. You're not going to get paid from anything because you owe us. Y'all in breach of contract. So we young kids, teenagers off of $500. We didn't know that we couldn't still book our own shows, but they threatened to take us into court and sue us for booking the Ritz. You know, yeah, it it was it was crazy. So did you just have to give it up? No, we had already did the show. No, we had already did the show. How they got us back was we never received no money from nothing. Therefore, we didn't. From then on, no money from records. No, no, we never seen royalties from records or anything. He looking at me like, "Well, Sharrock, you got paid." I said, "The hell, I didn't." So that's why I wound up filing a class action lawsuit to bring in the Furious Five, you know, the Sugar Hill Gang, the sequence, whatever. Whoever didn't sign, that was on them. But I won. We won. But we still in court today. Damn. We still in court today to retain stuff the judge told them to do. So they they play with you like that, Cass? Well, I I never fuck with Sugar Hill Records like that. You know what I mean? But didn't you do something with them? Nothing. You know, after we Hank, know. you know, did that with Rapper's Delight and it was a hit, you know what I mean? It was like, I ain't fucking with them. You know, if I'm going to go anywhere, I'm not trying to go there. I wasn't trying to go to Enjoy because they had like nine motherfucking acts or, or more. The Funky Four, the Furious Five, the Treacherous Three, the Fearless Four, the Disco Four, the Cool <laughs> Kyle. Like, wow. everybody was on that motherfucker. Even though, in hindsight, looking back, that would have been a move. It because would have been. if you listen to Enjoy Records, if you listen to their catalog, their band was fucking amazing. He had the Pumpkin, most, Pumpkin well, and well, the All Stars could redo any motherfucking beat right. in a way. They well, capture the essence of yeah. it, but make a whole new song out of it. The punch and all of their records was yeah, tight. Yeah. So for us, as far as records, man, that as a young teenager, I thought that that was going to really like be the lifeline for me, you know, in the group. We thought it was going to be that for y'all too. All it of was us, bad, all no. of us who hadn't got signed it or saw bad. our group starting to get signed to record labels, even though hip hop was competitive in the early days, exactly. we championed each other. We was like, "Oh shit, Funky is doing this. Right. Oh shit, They're they moved time. to Sugar Hill." Right. We yeah. saw the progression that we thought the perception was these guys is doing it. They making it, you know. And then you find out later on, like that Big and Bang Hank out, died right? penniless. Mm. You know what I mean? 
while Master G and Wonder Mike had to leave the label and, and fight for that name and all that other shit. Crazy. You know what I mean? And there's no artist on that label that can say, I had a great career mm-hmm. on Sugar Hill Records. People don't That's what they a lot of people, they got hot or they got popular, but they wasn't getting no bread. And when she told me that shit on the air, I was like, what? Hmm. Now, I know that they was getting shorts. Nobody was getting what they should have got. But, like, you never received a royalty check from a fucking record company as big as they was? No. Why you think I was able to win in court several lawsuits? Because there was no documentation stating that they paid us for the royalties of all the songs that we made. But when you won... There was nothing to get. It's like squeezing blood out of no, a stone. No, no, no. They it's squeezing wouldn't... blood because if you got the right lawyers, they know where to find the money at. Got it. You, you understand what I'm saying? Because yeah. the so money somebody is still got rich there. And they're, right. They're there. Yeah, you'll so, never yeah. get what you got coming because yeah. the philosophy of Sugar Hill Records in the early days was just selling records out the well, trunk. Well, the thing selling is, records is that to distributors you can straight only away. go back seven years from yeah. the time of when this all happened. But right. if you have good attorneys, they know where to find the money. Some they sold off, I guess, to Warner Brothers or different things. But it's um, still our songs. It's still our right. records. So the thing is, is that you have to go after the persons and right, the whoever people got it because now. they are still getting money. They stream well, it every yeah, day. Yeah, they still this getting money is, oh, yeah. for this. Right, downloaded around the right. world. So there's a day. way of getting like reparations, basically. Right. Through, you know, be I by, call it by reparations. Reparations. Okay. Right. You have right. to have an attorney to know what they're doing, and they go after the money and know where the money is hidden, who's got the money, whatever. I mean, I have good attorneys. I hired them back in 1992 or something like that. And so you just got to have attorneys that know what they're doing. Gangsters don't deal in contracts. Wow. It was a long time ago, but I'll never forget. I got caught in the bed with a gun in vet. Well, I was scared like hell, but I got a wave. That's why I'm alive, rapping to y'all today. I was outside on my school talking to this fox. Crowd of people all around, listen to my box. Just me and my fans and some guys from the crew. Chilling hard because we had nothing else. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Let me explain the situation on MCs. None of us was called rappers. 
You know what I'm saying? In the 70s, we were not called rappers at all. We were MCs. It wasn't until 1979 when you had people like Sugar Hill Records. Yes, that was my next question. Right. Oh, I'm going to tell you. When (laughs) when you had people like Sugar Hill Records or you had Enjoy Records, they were older people. So they called us rappers. And Joy was black owned? Yeah. Yeah, Bobby Robinson. Bobby Robinson. Robinson. You know, they don't tell the story that he put out the first hip hop songs as well. And Bobby Robinson had a record shop on 125th. 125th. It was on 8th, Mm -hmm. Frederick Douglass Boulevard. Right. And that's where he started Enjoy Records, out of that record store. We was the first to release a song off of his label. Ronnie D from the Disco 4 is his son. To jump back to what you were saying about Sugar Hill Records... So in hindsight, how do you guys feel about the legacy in terms of, you know, there was a lot of talk about Rapper's Delight mm-hmm. and uh-huh. you know what might have happened with that. Yeah. yeah. So for me, back in 1979, when they came out with their song, Rapper's Delight, I'm on the streets of New York. I'm rhyming to the same song, Good Times, that they went into the studio made. Now, I got street cred. People right. know me. Mm-hmm. When they made that song, I don't know about everybody else, but I was hurt. And I was hurt because I felt like I was on the streets of New York rhyming to that song. And here it is. Somebody overnight can come and be a success overnight. Right. Off of the song that all of us was rhyming to in the Bronx and New York City at that time. And so I felt the kind of way. It took me many years to say, well, you know what? They came out with a song, a song that we can listen to today and still enjoy. But as the first female MC of hip hop and as an MC on the streets, I was offended because I felt like it was just given to them instead of the work ethics of an MC that was put into it. And so they had the first big record, you know, under Sugar Hill label. My group and I were signed to Enjoy label at the same time. I think they signed in September. We signed in November. That's the joint came out on Enjoy? No, no, no. Rapping and Rocking the House was our first song that came out under Enjoy. Right. So we came out with a song two months after the Sugar Hill Gang did. Okay. You understand? Mm-hmm. But the point was after that, a year later, we signed with Sugar Hill Records. So when you talk about, you know, how do we feel about it? I have reservations about signing to any label. At that time, because we were young, we didn't know. Our parents didn't know. So in the business, we're like the blueprint for being jerk. You you understand what I'm saying? Or even doing business at all. I was hurt because I felt that everything that I loved about hip-hop culture was ripped from me. Mm. Because you didn't respect my artistry enough to pay me what I deserve. So I was furious for many years. Until I filed a lawsuit, you know, I got over it. But anyway, my thing is that I think that one thing that came up out of all of this is that the Sugar Hill Records exposed us to more people as far as records, that they heard our records. Regardless of whether or not we got paid for it, we got the exposure around the world. And that's the only thing that I could say benefited MC Shyrock or the Funky Four, you know, or the Funky Four Plus One. Well, was for the me, exposure. Rapper's Delight and for the hip hop community was basically, who the fuck is they? Exactly. Right. Wow. Who the fuck is that? Exactly. You know what I mean? And then the rhymes started sounding familiar. Wait a minute. Whoa, <laughs> wow. whoa. It's your whoa. shit. Yeah. That's cash shit. Of course, my original name in hip hop mm-hmm. is Casanova Fly. So, I mean, right after the hip hop, the hibbity hibbity, 
when he say, come on, Hank, sing that song. Right. He says, I'm Casanova Fly. Right. Wow. First thing out of his mouth. I'm the C-A-S-N-O-V-A and the rest is F-L-Y. So people uh, thought that was you when they, well, people know you. Well, see, the hip hop community was much smaller than it is. Right. You know, and even after that song came out, it was an explosion. Mm -hmm. But prior to that, everybody knew who everybody was and who everybody wasn't. Mm. If you came out saying my shit, everybody is going to know. Right. You know what I mean? So when the song came out, people in our area who knew hip hop was like, yo, Cash, you made a record. <laughs> you made, I heard your record on the radio. I said, I ain't got no record. What you talking about? Yes, you did. I heard it on the radio, got your name in it and all that shit. I was like, nah, that ain't me. That's Hank. It was like, Hank, Hank don't rap. <laughs> Hank don't rhyme. I like, yeah, I know. <laughs> For a long time, I was explaining that away. You know what I mean? Well, why is he saying your shit? Why is he saying the rhyme about such and such? Because all my rhymes describe me. Right. You can't say my rhyme. It won't relate to you. You're not six foot one. Right. Okay, Whoa. I'm six foot one. That's so you know what crazy. I mean? Yeah. Yo, the story is gold. Yes. Yeah. And culturally, we didn't do that. You wrote we didn't your understand own stuff. that yeah. the business don't give a fuck who wrote what. At a certain point, did you have to reconcile with the fact that the universe, the world is is in love with this song or this song yes, for yes, generations and generations. Yes, and I at did. a certain point, they don't care who did what. And yes. you just have to also then roll with it because you're such an integral part. Well, I understand that the hip hop community understands. Yes. Okay. And those morals and those bylaws and things that we live Never by gonna change. don't apply to the right. record business. Right. And we found that out early. Mm -hmm. Did I resent the Rapper's Delight situation for a long time? Of yes. course I did. You know how different my life could have been hmm. had Hank did what he was supposed to do and say, well, guys, no, I don't rap, but I manage Casanova Fly. Right. Hmm. Okay, not that I ever had aspirations to be part of the Sugar Hill Gang. Mm -hmm. All right, believe me, I was trying to make my bones Wait. with the cold crush. He was a manager? He was my manager. Was Look at manager. Now, now it's like, hold up. Hank, Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hank used to work in the Sparkle. Okay, the Sparkle was this club on Jerome Avenue. Hank was the doorman at the club. When I used to go to the club, me and him got tight. We started kicking it. You know what I mean? And I was like, yo, why don't you help manage my group? Mm -hmm. Funky Four got a manager. Right. Flash got a manager. Right. I'm trying to move up to the next level. Man, you could represent me. True. He was like, yo, bet. Hank got some bread from his parents, two stacks, reinforced our sound system, and we went out there starting, all right, let's get it. And then right during that time, right after we got that sound system, he had to get a job to help pay back the loan he took right. out for the system. Right. We wasn't making bread at hip-hop yet. We spent right. more money doing hip-hop than we made at it. But when you talk about reparations, right, is a way of healing what happened with Rapper's Delight for you now in the 50th anniversary of hip-hop to reclaim that verse even. Here's what I would you need to do. And this is what would be a great Rapper's thing, not Delight. only for me, mm -hmm. but for Rapper's Delight, for the legacy mm -hmm. of Rapper's Delight and the legacy of Sugar Hill Records. Now, you could have righted this wrong and these wrongs a long time ago. Right. right. A long time ago. All the principals are gone. Sylvia Robinson passed away. Joe Robinson mm -hmm. passed away. away. Scoochie Robinson. Passed, passed away. away. Joey, Joey Robinson Jr. Passed away. Passed away. Big Bank Hank. 
passed, passed away. away. The studio in Inglewood burnt down. But you still have okay. one major player that's Leland, still alive. Leland Robinson that can is change a surviving this. member of the Sugar Hill Records, and he could. He could eventually. Here's what needs to Leland, happen. Leland, do the number right one, thing. Number one, if you're talking about me personally and yeah. my thing with Rapper's Delight, just... I need my writers. I need my writers. Mm-hmm. When Rapper's Delight came out, they gave all the rights to Nile Rodgers. They because did. they took good times and right. used exactly. it mm-hmm. without permission. Right. And they put so, him on the album as well right. as and a Nile writer. And Nile Rodgers was getting ready to stop their whole shit. It wouldn't have been no Sugar Hill Gang. Mm-hmm. He would have stopped that record dead, took them off the shelf and everything. They was like, yo, yo, here, here, take this, take yeah. this, take this. So they gave him a bunch of bread and all the rights and his writers to Sugar Hill Gang. Exactly. Now Rodgers understands, you know, he's from Chic and he's a legendary producer and all mm-hmm. that. And he wrote Good Times. Mm-hmm. He should sue them for what they used of his. Right. Right. But he didn't write no lyrics on that song. Those lyrics weren't for Sugar Hill to give to him. So that's one step that could could repair. That's one step. Restore my writers publicly that I am a writer. I need my name on that song. Mm -hmm. Every time you print it, whatever you put out from now on, my name should be on that song as a writer. I want my plaques. Whatever came from that, you know what I mean? From the success of the song, I want it. Now, I know I can't go back and get all the money that you owe me, okay? But I need a substantial payment. So okay? now Rogers has to sign off on that problem. Yeah. I not would hope the, that he would, well, you know, or, or should. Y'all dealing with that legally now? Not legally, yeah. not yet. Not yeah, I'm just trying to trace the money. That's why Rapper's Delight was never certified by mm-hmm. RIAA Damn. because it, those sales wasn't being counted. And they didn't want... You know how long it took for they, them to be gold, for exactly. them to be certified? They didn't want to Damn. be able to track the money to of the track the, the money. Right. That was a different that's time that's in America. Gangster, right? That's gangster, right? Yes, that's very gangster. gangster. That's and gangster. just being a black person trying to run a record company, I know that had to be hard from their side of it, but I feel like you guys going to get it done. We get subjected to that type of bullshit by the record industry. We learn about it, and then we get involved in the record industry, and then do the same shit yeah. to the it's next set of artists. Going, instead of amending, going. you know, instead right. of saying, "Look, this is how they fuck people over." Right. I'm not going to do that. When you talk about 360 deals, I was under contract with the Funky Four and Sugar Hill Records, but I also created the Us Girls. Harry Belafonte had to negotiate something with Sylvia Robinson, Sugar Hill Records, just so I can be in Beach Street. Yep. You understand? Know and the deal was that, okay, we let Shaw Rock in Beach Street, because the other two girls wasn't under any record deals. Right. We let Shaw Rock in Beach Street, and what happens is Melly Mel got to do the hook for Beach B Street. Beach Street breakdown. Because yeah. of me and the negotiation that Sylvia Robinson and Harry Belafonte did. You know, that's why wow. we weren't yes. in Beach Street. That's why the Cold Crush wasn't in Beach Street because our record company wouldn't make right. that deal. They wouldn't sign off on something. They, right. they was greedy Damn. over there. Right. So that's why we wasn't in Beach Street. Yeah, Your just part to get of a Beach part. Street was yeah. like needed Yeah, because it was early in the movie and we're watching, wow, this is New York, the Bronx, mm-hmm. the Leather Bombers, the Pumas, the mm-hmm. breakdancing on the street, mm-hmm. the wintertime, all of that. <laughs> right. That's Dougie Fresh. Wow, yeah. that's the dude that makes the beats. Right. Wow, what's Dougie Fresh? That's the first time I saw him. Right. So right. I'm like, whoa, this is crazy. So you guys part, when you come in there, Sha Rock mm-hmm. is the woman with the magic. Yo, it's hard I'm to like, get there. Yeah, I'm like, what? <laughs> well, so Lass, let's, Yo, talk really first, this let's talk about crazy. the first time that I saw you at the Lost Tapes. Now, Kaz, this is crazy, though, you know, because Grand Poobah is a very good friend of mine. Uh-huh. Shout he out grabbed, to Yeah, he grabbed me and said, come on. I said, I want to meet Nas. I know he's busy, but I want to meet him. He dragged me to Nas, 
And he say, this is Chirac. And Nas started rhyming my song. <laughs> oh. And I was I almost was in tears. I was like, this nigga know my shit. That's what? the ultimate you know what flattery right there. <laughs> you know? And I was like, I went home and I told my family. And I was like, you know, to me, that was a highlight of my uh, life. To know wow. that he knew my rhyme. Yeah. Right. You know what I'm yeah, saying? No That's, question. You yo. was a, your star was shining so huge. Soon as you stepped up. I mean, soon as you were on camera. I'm like, yo, I didn't know it was the same Chirac For real? when I was in the movie theater. I knew, but it was like you was a new Chirac because it's us girl, yes. all girl band. Yes. And you had a new new look. Or, yeah. or, you she know what reinvented I'm saying? herself. Reinvented you know herself. I mean? And I think that's what hip hop is about. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's about as an MC, you know, you always supposed to be able to adapt to your environment. You should never stay stuck. It's just like your rhyming skills, you know, your MCing skills. You should always learn to improve. We come from the old school era. So a lot of times, you know, they think that our mindset is stuck in old school, but I've never been that type of MC. I always listen to Nas, I listen to Jay-Z, I listen to Joanna Lucas, I listen to different MCs nowadays even to just stay abreast. So if right. I want to go into that studio and record, I can shut it down with no problem, you know, because I am that MC that still have the skills to be able to adapt to my environment. So that's what we do as MCs. We reinvent ourselves, but also make sure that our craft is always intact. And that's what everybody needs to know that's listening. Yeah, All the young artists that are coming up this started as an art form, like for MCing. It's beautiful today. It's beautiful where it's going. Young people expressing themselves. But it's like this started off of MCing, mm -hmm. off of using your imagination, your wit, your vocabulary, your voice, your power to open up people's heads and minds about what possibilities could be and how to use the English language and manipulate the English language with this new language created by, in large part, you two king and queen sitting here right now. Like, what's owed to you is beyond words. Right. And I think that it's prime time for things to change and to win in your favor. Yeah. And it makes all the sense of the world. I think there's a whole nother leg, a whole nother second win for y'all in the hip hop industry because it's never it's never really going to die. You know, Dr. Dre is up there in age, I'm getting up there in age and dudes are like still in a prime in or about power. to reach yeah. a new point that hasn't happened yet. And I still I hear you. I check on what you're doing here mm -hmm. and there and you still sharp, you still nice with it and that never goes away. But Nas, you're doing the same thing. You know what? Every other year or something like that, you come out with an album. So you're leading the example. So when you talk about, well, I'm getting old in age, but that doesn't reflect your lyricism. That doesn't reflect who you right. are. Right. You know I'm what happy I'm about you're still right. Nas. Oh, yeah. you, you ain't got to change. To right. You ain't got to do a trap Thank song. You. Or right. nothing like, you know right. what I'm saying? Because that's what they feel like we have to do. It's right. like, well, why right. don't you get with some of the younger art? Because I'm an older nigga. That's why. <laughs> you know what I mean? I fucks with older people. I fuck with older things. My mindset. I'm aware of everything. Right. But every generation deserves their generation. Yeah. You understand right. what I'm saying? Don't try to include yourself <laughs> in their narrative. You've created one. And they're picking it up from there. Now, we're still here and we are available. You want to invite with more than willing. You know yeah. what I mean? I did Macklemore yeah. fucking song yeah. a few years right. back. That right. was my first platinum fucking album. Yeah. Right. When you say bridge the gap, now, yeah. 
you know, I was talking to you earlier about me introducing, you know, my kids at an early age, even though they've listened to UGK, you know, yeah. Swisher House, Bun B, we're in Texas, yeah. like, oh, we're in North Carolina. Shout out to them. They hear it, right? Yeah. But this is the thing, though. They still know who the hell Nas is because I introduced Love. them to Nas's music. So for me, that will carry on through their generations and their generations and their generations because they're wow. not just stuck into one type of music. They have a balance of different music. There's a quote you said was like, hip hop didn't create. Hip hop didn't invent anything. Hip hop reinvented, reinvented. Yeah. everything. Wow. Everything. And basically that kind of sums it up. It does. And, and how yeah. I feel about everything. It's like a lot of people come up, yo, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be, we mm -hmm. wouldn't have, if it wasn't for me, it would have been for somebody else. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Because that was the energy. Exactly. This was going to happen regardless. Mm -hmm. You know, we just happen to be at the forefront. We were the people who stuck to the fabric. Exactly. We are the people when other people are saying, that shit is bullshit. What y'all doing? Fucking mm -hmm. up your clothes, spinning on the floor exactly. and shit like right, that. Right. Well, y'all ain't going to get nowhere doing that hibbity hop shit. But we said, all right, yeah, well, whatever. Whatever. And stuck to the fabric right. and kept doing it. And that's why hip hop is here today. This is like a 48-hour type of... Because <laughs> we can go on, go, yes. go have a retreat yes. and really... <laughs> yes, sir. ...figure out some things and build together. Yes. Well, we're yes. so appreciative that you came through. No, thank you. Thank nah, y'all. No, we know, we, we know, because me and Kaz, we can go on and on. I was just getting started. All day. And we was, too. On the next episode of The Bridge, 50 Years of Hip Hop, Minya and I speak with Teddy Riley. I was a little nervous working with Big Daddy Kane because he was definitely that king. And I just wanted to give him something that would relate with his crowd, you know. And then Brooklyn, I didn't want them to be like, yo, you ain't with us. You with them New Jack Swing niggas. <laughs> I didn't want them to say that. So I watched a lot of his records and his dances. And working with Heavy D, I was like, I got to give him something that's going to compete with them. I like to see them all on tour at the same time. That whole dream came true. From Spotify, the executive producers are Gina Delvec and Jason Rodriguez, with additional production support from Leslie Guam and Andrea Salenzi. And special thanks to Courtney Holt, Jessica Dow, and everyone at Spotify who helped the bridge come to life. From Mass Appeal, the executive producers are myself, Nas, Peter Bittenbender, Jenya Meggs. Lead producer is Medina Pawana, and associate producer is Serge Jabrizia. Our writer is Gabe Alvarez, Samara Langer, and Cliff Cristofaro are our editors. Thanks for listening. <laughs>